Hello everyone and thanks for tuning in to the Latter-day Saints in Action podcast. Our introduction music comes from a song by Derek Clegg called A Strong Will is Needed from the Free Music Archives. I'm your host Matt Gardner. Now on with the show. Hello and thank you for joining me today. Today is part two of our series on the Mormon Environmental Stewardship Alliance, or MESA. I got the chance to speak with Mark Coles Ritchie about his role at MESA. He was the chair of the nonprofit until this past January. Let's take a listen. Hey, Mark, how are you? Doing well, thanks, Matt. Thanks for coming on. This is really exciting to get to know another member of the MESA team. Last time we had on Soren, who talked a little bit about the the beginnings of Mesa, and I'm really excited to talk with you a little bit more in depth about some of the initiatives and things that you're doing. But before we get into that, why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Who? Uh, what's your name? <laughs> I mean, I know your name's Mark, but uh, who are you? Hobbies, family, church calling, anything else that's interesting? Yeah, thanks for the opportunity to, to talk about... Um... What I care about passionately, the environment and how it intersects with my faith. I'm a lifelong member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Grew up in uh, Utah and California and Michigan. I've come back to Utah after having lived in a lot of different places around the world. When I was young, I was in Boy Scouts as part of our church activity. And I credit Boy Scouts as one of the the ways that uh, I was introduced, not just introduced, but experienced nature uh, on campouts and doing some of the the merit badges and that kind of thing. So sure. I've studied ecology and particularly botany and, and, and plant ecology. And that's a passion of mine. I work in conservation currently for a, a nonprofit organization, Grand Canyon Trust. And in the past, I've worked for government as well as other consulting and nonprofit organizations. So do you have a degree in botany yes. and, and other things? Okay. So, so talk about that. Why did you decide to do your career in this in this field? Yeah, it's an interesting um, development or or progression of of my career. Originally, I started out studying literature a long time ago. That's a wild swing. And I, you know, I still love literature. But in the 1980s, I was very aware of environmental degradation. You know, one of the things that stuck in my mind that happened actually before then was when that river in Ohio caught on fire, I think it was the Cuyahoga river in Ohio caught on fire when there was so much pollution and and chemicals being dumped into the river, a fire started and they couldn't put it out. And rivers are not supposed to burn. It just doesn't make sense. So that was something that really left an impact on me. And then there were a lot of other environmental issues in the 1970s and 80s and 90s, whether it was trying to protect whales or addressing pollution or habitat, water quality and, and maintaining wetlands. Those were some issues that really resonated with me. So I, so I shifted from, from literature and, and did a master's degree in environmental studies, and I, but I still wanted to get more into the science uh, to try to be able to understand ecology and how to advocate for conservation. So then I did a PhD at Utah State University in vegetation ecology, and my focus at that point was riparian areas. So the, the areas adjacent to streams and how hmm. important those are for maintaining streams and, and good wildlife habitat and fish habitat. So that's a little bit of my, my progression. So I should have introduced you as Dr. Mark. Yeah. You could, but I, Mark <laughs> is just, just fine. I, I, I'm not big into titles. Sure, sure. Okay. So 
Um, what part of Michigan were you in? My my wife and I, my wife did her master's degree at the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. Yeah, when I was young, uh, my dad taught at the University of Michigan. So we were in Ann Arbor as well from ages one to seven for me. Well, that's really neat. I, I loved Ann Arbor. We spent our first year of marriage there and it was just such yeah. a fantastic town. Yeah, it's a, it's a fun place. You mentioned some other topics that I could probably shed some light sure. on. My hobbies, I, I love hiking and backpacking and I love plant identification when I'm out in nature. I love to look at the wildflowers. And I also love to teach other people about those things, the plants and the ecosystem processes in, in the natural areas around us, of the mountains of Utah or the deserts of Southern Utah and Arizona. I'm married, have two children, 18 and 20-year-old children. And I come from pioneer heritage, just a long line of LDS folks in Utah and the Intermountain West. I think you've asked about my church calling. I, I'm currently the ward mission leader here in my ward in Salt Lake City. Nice. That's really awesome. You're probably one of those people who, if Armageddon hit, we could go to to see which plants are uh, edible, right? I do know a lot of, of the edible plants, and it, it's fun when I'm out hiking to pick some berries and, and enjoy those and know which ones are, are edible and tasty and which ones aren't. But I think we would all struggle if if we didn't have grocery stores and uh, that kind of thing. I, I mean, I know some things that would I could eat for a little while, but it, it would be hard. <laughs> it, would get, it would get old. Yeah, I agree. It would be very difficult. You know, on that note, I really admire our, the Native American communities that, that did live on this landscape. And all they had was the plants and animals that were here that they could capture and, and, and use. So I, I really love ethnobotany and appreciate the the indigenous understanding of, of the land. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So this is part two of our series. I'm just curious, you're on the board. I'm wondering what your responsibilities are. What do you do at Mesa? Sure. Um, the Mormon Environmental Stewardship Alliance is a nonprofit organization that was uh, started about nine years ago to really engage members of our church in, uh, in being better stewards of the earth and understanding and, and advocating for, for policies and actions that will, will take better care of, of our earth. So my responsibilities right now, I'm on the board of, of MESA. MESA is the acronym for Mormon Environmental Stewardship Alliance. And I'm the chair. I mean, I was the chair until last month. Now I'm the secretary on the, the board of the Mormon Environmental Stewardship Alliance. And I've been on the board for about four or five years, which is about half the life or half of the existence of MESA. Were you there at inception or did you join a little bit later on? I was not a member of MESA before joining the board. I didn't know very much about it until some, I think some friends introduced me to the, to the organization. And then I, I joined and got, they quickly asked me to be on the board and I've been working as a volunteer on that board for the past five years. So it sounds like this is right up your alley in terms of interests. What drew you to, I guess, when, when people came to you and said, hey, come, this is interesting. What made you decide to say, hey, I'll, I'll invest time in this organization versus any other environmental organization that you could have joined elsewhere? Mesa really appealed to me because, as I've talked about a little bit already, I have a passion for the environment. I love nature. I love plants and animals and ecosystems and rivers and mountains, all of those things just really 
speak to me and I, I love spending time in nature. At the same time, I see so much degradation of, of the land and water and wildlife and air in particular. So I'm very concerned about those things and, and want to do something to try to improve environmental management and restoration. And I feel like the doctrine of our church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, teaches us to be good stewards, to take good care of what we've been given. And this earth is something we've, we've been given as stewards. It's not something that we are owners of. It's just something that we are basically loaned or are given for a time period to, to enjoy, but also to take care of and um, pass on to the next generation in, in a good state. So I, I was excited. Like you said, my interest really dovetailed well with Mesa as a member of the church and as an ecologist. Uh, it felt like a really good fit. So, and, I, and on the flip side, uh, there's not a strong history of conservation among members of our church. And so I felt even more compelled to stand up and speak out for what I feel is not being said enough, which is that we as Latter-day Saints should be um, forceful advocates for conservation and for environmental protection. And so I was excited to, to be able to use my talents in, in this organization. This organization is different from LDS Earth Stewardship in that yes. Mesa does more political advocacy and trying to change policy as opposed to just getting a a uh, environmentally friendly message out like uh, LDS Earth Stewardship. And so I do want to talk a little bit about some of the legislative initiatives that you're working on, and maybe not the particulars, but some policies. What are some policies or, or legislation that might be in the works right now or maybe in the future that you think would make the biggest or greatest impact? Yeah, thanks for that really good question. I would say one of the top priorities for me right now is, is clean energy because so many problems are resulting from the pollution that comes from carbon-based fuels to get energy from coal and oil and gas. So I'm really excited that right now there is so much new technology that's allowing us to move to clean energy. The price of solar has declined dramatically just in the past 10 years. It's, it's now cheaper to build new solar uh, energy production than it is to build new coal or oil or gas from, from what I hear. And that clean energy transition that we're going through right now will help so many other things. It'll help improve our air quality, which will improve our health. Air pollution is the leading cause of, of death around the world. And so, and, and we know about that, especially here in the Salt Lake Valley where I live, air pollution is such a huge problem. Um, it it affects all of us. It reduces our life and, and it reduces our quality of life. So, uh, and also as we transition to, to clean energy, it will help the ecosystem. It will help reduce impacts to, to plants and animals and plant communities and reduce sea level rise. It's going to affect so many people 
around the world, you know, climate refugees will probably be the biggest community of need in the history of the world as people flee as a result of, of rising seas that will affect especially the low-lying regions of Southeast Asia and the islands of the Pacific and, and coastal areas of the United States as well. As we move to clean energy, we can reduce the impacts of uh, global warming and, and, and climate change. I mean, we're already experiencing some of them, a lot of them, but we, we've, we've got to work harder to, to make a quick transition to clean energy. And I'm excited about that. And the Build Back Better uh, legislation in, in the U.S. Congress is, is one way to do that. There's portions of that that address climate change. And so I strongly support those. You know, a, a related uh, effort is an effort to protect more land from damage and development in our country and around the world. And and it's referred to often as 30 by 30, which is the idea that we try to protect 30% of the land and water of our country by the year 2030. So I, I'm a big supporter of this 30 by 30 initiative, and, and Mesa is as well. And as we do that, that will actually help with the previous thing that I was just talking about, because natural plant communities capture and store a lot of carbon. So if we can protect forests and grasslands and shrublands and, and rivers and lakes and, and the ocean, that will help uh, absorb and store carbon and, and reduce, or at least slow some of the, the global warming that we're experiencing. Personally, we, we just, my wife and I just bought a, an electric car, a Nissan Leaf, and we're, we're looking towards getting a solar solar panel system on our on our home to help cover the costs of electricity. And then I look in uh, the rest of my house and I, I see all these things that are using carbon, like my heater to heat the home, the water heater. You know, I, there are all these pipes that I never really thought about. Yeah, it's not just the, the cars. It's, it's all sorts of things that use that emit carbons in our homes. You're right. And it's, it's an exciting time in that there are new options, new technologies, like you mentioned, electric cars. And we're really going to electrify our entire homes. New York City recently passed a law that says that all new construction in New York City cannot have oil or, or gas lines coming into the new buildings. Wow. That means they have to have electric water heaters, electric stoves, uh, electric heat. New York State is considering the same legislation. So, yeah, we're moving in that direction and we, we need to move faster to avoid the, the worst impacts of climate change. But I'm excited that we are moving in the right direction. It, you know, electric cars are great. The problem is electric cars are a little bit expensive for not everybody can afford them right now. What excites me is the is the possibility of, of retrofitting an existing car to become electric. And I think when that happens, we can make a big improvement in, in air quality and the other impacts of, of pollution from internal combustion engines. Just imagine if, if, if there was local uh, mechanics that were willing to to change your car from being a gas car to being an electric car. And, and it, what if it prolonged the, the use of that vehicle in terms of the body of the car um, without all the pollution that comes from burning gasoline to, to run it? Oh, that would be such a cool thing. I hadn't even thought about that because I read this article talking about that 
something similar where this guy's contention, the author's contention was that, yeah, we're getting more electric cars in the United States, but all of our old cars are going to go somewhere and it's going to be 40, 50 years before we see any benefit from us moving to electric cars because we're just going to move our cars out to poorer areas. And maybe if we can retrofit instead of buying new that would make a difference in that argument. Yeah, you had a Prius that had an expensive uh, repair. And imagine having the option of converting that Prius to be all electric rather than having to buy a new car. I think a lot of people would like that. A lot of people are attached to their existing vehicles, whether it's an old pickup truck or, you know, a station wagon or a SUV or whatever it is. And and they don't have $70,000 to buy a, a Rivian or a Tesla truck. But what if they could convert their existing vehicle to electric. I think that's that's the future. Oh, that's a that's a really good idea. I hadn't even thought about that. That's that's awesome. What what other initiatives are besides electrification and and energy consumption are is is Mesa working on? Well, one of my passions and and, and something that I bring to the the table at Mesa, no pun intended there table. At Mesa, <laughs> yeah. Uh, is public lands and, and their value in protecting the the land, public lands that we have around us, particularly the Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management lands that are the majority of, of the state of Utah and of the Western United States. And we are really lucky to have all those lands surrounding us, places where we can go without having to pay anything and and hike and mountain bike, bird watch and enjoy and go hunting. There's just so many things that people can do on our public lands that are a real gift to those of us who live here. Some people complain about having too much public lands in our state, but I think it's just the opposite. We should be so grateful that we have these places where we can go find peace and solitude and spiritual connection. You know, it's not a coincidence that Moses went up to the mountain to pray and Joseph Smith went to the forest to pray and Jesus went out into the wilderness to fast and pray. These natural areas are so valuable for us to find peace and solace in fact, there are there are studies that show that when people go into nature, their health immediately starts to improve. Their heart rate, their their blood pressure, and their cognitive abilities also improve. They do tests of people's ability to answer, you know, solve questions, and and all and that improves when people spend time in nature. And so, I think it's so important to protect our public lands and to protect places where we can go and find that peace and solitude and and spiritual connection, whatever it is. It doesn't have to be just the people of our faith. People of any faith or, or no, no particular religious persuasion can go and, and find beauty and peace in our natural areas. So protecting those is really important to me. And specifically here in Utah, I'm a huge advocate for Bears Ears National Monument and Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument, two really, really large landscapes, millions of acres that are so important to protect ecologically, and culturally, they are the homelands of many indigenous tribes, and, and they are full of archaeology and structures and things that the people who lived there for millennia have left behind. And we need to, to preserve those out of respect and also f- to, to learn from and to be inspired by. And so we can... We can protect both the, the cultural and the ecological, the, you know, the beautiful deserts and the, the mountain forests and the streams and the springs. There's just so many beautiful places in those landscapes that are 
so important to me and to tribes. And so I am passionate about protecting those landscapes. Oh, that's that's really neat to hear. I remember when uh, President Clinton, and I, I was younger, but I remember when he designated Grand Escalante and, and a lot of Northern Utahns were really upset with how he did it. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, President Obama just a, a few years ago uh, with the Bears Ears National Monument. And I'm, I'm really grateful that, that they were able to do that and we, like you say, we are really, really lucky to have those national monuments and those national parks right, right up, right next to us. I live in Mill Creek, of course, as, as I mentioned earlier, and it's just, we go up the street, basically in our backyard is, is a mountain where we can go hiking and wow, what a, what a place. What a yeah. What a gift. Yeah. What a gift. Absolutely. So are Mesa's efforts focused more locally, regionally, or, or nationally? What, uh, you mentioned some things in Utah that you're doing. Um, what other things are, do you do nationally or, or regionally? Yeah, we like to work at all, all of those different levels. At Mesa, we, we try to encourage uh, members of our church to, to get engaged and to speak out for the things that they care about in protecting land and water. And, and you know, air quality is... is probably the biggest issue right now that that we're facing at, at all levels, local, state, and national, and, and at the entire globe. So, sure. so, that's, a, so that's a big one. And, and we talk to our legislators, the, the Board of Mesa, we have meetings with political leaders and their staffs to talk to them about what we think is important that they address, whether it's clean energy or protecting public lands or protecting water and making sure that the Great Salt Lake is sustained and protecting Utah Lake and and protecting the forests around us. So, you know, oftentimes that starts at the federal level because there's so much federal land uh, in the Western United States. But but states have a a large role in air quality and and, and other things that affect the land and, and things that pollute. So, so we talk to the state level governments as well. And we also include encourage simpler things like uh, public trans, transit, you know, funding for, for buses and trolleys and trains that can help move people around with, uh, without so much pollution, walkable communities and, and recycling and a lot of smaller scale things that we can do to, to make our communities both healthier and more enjoyable. I think the church can also be a leader in this regard in, in showing an example of putting solar panels on church buildings. Uh, just imagine if every church and BYU and institute and seminary building had solar panels on it. That would be a lot of power that we could generate and offset the polluting energy sources from coal and oil and gas. Oh, absolutely. The church could buy electric vehicles and have charging stations at, at churches and at other church properties. They could lead, lead out by having low water landscaping. And they're doing that in some places, but they could do more. And I think as, as large organizations, whether it's businesses or churches or government lead out, others learn from those examples and say, oh, that's, that's possible. I can do that. I can put solar panels or I can have a low water landscaping um, or I can have electric cars. And I think you're absolutely right on, right on track. This is 
so neat to hear that there's an organization that's pushing for this kind of effort in our state and by extension nationally. Let me mention another uh, idea. Um, you know, we have the Word of Wisdom, DNC 89, that teaches us to eat meat sparingly. That's something that we can do to improve our planet by having fewer resources going to, to growing animals and having, because those take a lot of energy, water and energy, right. and chemicals and other inputs. So we can feed more people with less pollution if we eat lower on the food chain, which means eating eating plants more, more than meat. And um, people can think about how, how could I eat less meat? How could I have maybe one meal a day where I don't have meat or or one day in the week where I don't have meat or a few days or whatever you're comfortable with. But as a society and as a church, I think we could do better in following the word of wisdom. And it, it's good for our health too. We're going to, we would have fewer issues with heart disease and cholesterol and other negative health impacts from eating meat and dairy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Well, that's that's really exciting. I've, I've been studying or just not studying, rather just watching YouTube videos on vertical farming and the efforts that that, that that could reduce carbon emissions as well. And mm-hmm. because you're not tearing down a forest to, to plant a garden, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're just doing the garden already in a, in a building and it's right next to where the food distribution needs to be anyway in the cities. And there are a lot of really exciting things right now that are going on. I'm really happy that I got the chance to chat with you. Is there anything else, Mark, that you didn't get a chance to talk about that you want to chat about that's the end of my questions so uh, i just appreciate the opportunity to talk matt this has been a, a great discussion and i i just i hope people are excited by some of the ideas that mesa and i have presented today and i hope people realize that there's things we can do both individually but also as communities and as a society and as a church to to be leaders in addressing the challenges that we face face to to take care of our earth to be good stewards as we have been commanded to do. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate it. I'm so glad I got the chance to talk with Mark. I love his optimism and enthusiasm for ideas that help make our water more pure and our air more breathable. I'm looking forward to the future of non-polluting energy. Thank you for taking the time to listen to another episode of the Latter-day Saints in Action podcast. Latter-day Saints in Action is a 501c3 education nonprofit. You can find out more about us at our website, latterdaysaintsinaction.org. If you like what you hear, please rate us on Apple Podcasts to help us reach more people. And thank you. So open your heart, you never gave it a chance.